here we are. Let's talk health care. We've been talking a lot of health care. It's just hurting the news. I mean, last week it was the plan by Ontario to diffuse all this tension and the fallout that's happening. And there we have, we have more ERs that are closing. This is really real, folks, may I say. This is real. We all feel it. I mean, as I'm talking, I think everybody asks themselves, is it going to be there for me or my loved ones or all, all those things that we wondered and were a bit horrified at during the pandemic and then post-pandemic, here we are. And then we have Premier Ford heading, as I said, to the land of seafood in the Atlantic provinces and saying, hey, let's let's make a gang and let's tell the federal government what we want. Is it going to work? And what are the possibilities here? Sean Watley is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and author of the recent book, When Politics Comes Before Patients, why and how Canadian Medicare is failing. Sean, good evening. Hey, Ned, thanks for having me, Arlene. Hey, Sean, what are we, what are we seeing here? We, we've got a, a group, a gang, whatever you want. I mean, there's power in numbers and Premier Ford reaching out to the East and saying, let's all do it together. Is it going to be effective if he's starting to build momentum in a team here? Well, I, I like your word gang. I was going to say coalition and, and actually compliment them on it, but I'll compliment them on forming a gang because you're absolutely right. This is the only way to get real change in Canada. You can't go it alone. I know, you know, back in 50 years ago, it seemed like Saskatchewan started the thing by itself, but they didn't even do it by themselves. So kudos to the premiers for sitting down together and trying to speak with one voice. And I heard three messages coming out of the news conference, and perhaps you heard something else, but I heard, number one, the status quo can't continue. So we need some substantive change. Now, they didn't elaborate, they didn't give details, but they did say status quo has to change. Number two, and I was happy to hear this, um, uh, one of the premiers said, we need ideas from frontline docs and nurses. So that sounds really good. I hope they're serious about it. But we also need to allow those good ideas to actually scale up. That's a whole other discussion. The third thing I heard come through was that they said, again, we need more money from the feds. And they're asking for a 13% increase or $28 billion. Um, I worry about asking for more money because the provinces always want more money, but Mm -hmm. they don't want to give more accountability and control. But those are the three messages I heard Yeah, they've wrapped it in the shroud of other accountability, including those who have a lot to say, whether they're frontline workers in in healthcare right now. It's a tenuous time, as you say. We've heard this before. We need more money. And there's a couple of ways of looking at it. I mean, we're looking and we're worried, and many Canadians may say, for God's sake, just open the floodgates here. (laughs) Spend the money. We need it. On the other hand, the proverbial other hand, Sean, it's it's a long plea and a plaintive wail from the provinces that have happened, and there's a resistance there. The strategy of how that money is going to be spent, now that the, our system has been laid bare, certainly to me and probably a lot of our listeners, has never been more important. Yeah, I love the way you lay it out. It, it, uh, you open the floodgates <laughs> and plaintive plea. That, that's exactly right. And so what we're seeing right now is... The, the provinces saying we want more money, but 
don't you dare tell us how to spend it. And actually, interesting, in April 2022, just this spring, uh, Institute Research, uh, Institute for Research on Public Policy did a study, survey of Canadians, and the majority of Canadians want no strings attached. Just give the provinces the money, let it happen, increase the transfers. But at the same time, the public says, hey, don't increase our taxes. So it's interesting, you know, what you just said, you know, uh, open the floodgates. That's actually what the average Canadian wants. But on the other hand, if you look at what the federal health minister, uh, uh, Mr. Duclos, said earlier this spring in March, he outlined, he called it five priorities. It's actually more like 10 priorities, but a very detailed list of what the federal government expects for the money that they've promised. And as you know, this spring, they promised $2 billion for surgical weights. And a little bit, I mean, we're saying $2 billion is a little bit here and there, but Really, in the scope of a, a $308 billion spend on health care in Canada, a few billion dollars isn't very much. But ultimately, the feds want to dictate everything from long-term care, home care, mental health problems, health data, staff shortages and delays in diagnosis. Like, they really want to run the show, but they're only paying a tip on the total fee for the care that's provided. But the show has to have some cohesion, doesn't it? I mean, is it everybody's show? I mean, we got a lot of big questions to ask ourselves. You know, they're coming together for pressure. Do we come together to have some kind of flow within the country? I mean, look, we've had stories where people were seeking health care. I'm sure you, you read it in Vancouver, British Columbia somewhere, and they didn't get it. And it was pretty touch and go for a while. So there's this whole idea that we're relying on the system. We knew it had flaws and now we're seeing it in all its reality. I'll use that word. Sean, you know, I personally, I get it. I get that provinces want to do their own thing and don't like no province wants the federal government telling them what to do. On the other hand, that word strategy is very important now. Oh, absolutely. And actually, you really honed in when you said cohesion, some kind of flow. Really, what you're touching on is there is a constitutional issue right at the dead center of this. So uh, there's a, a thing called federal spending power, and the federal government has been using it for you know close to 100 years now in order to um, encourage, or I would use the word bribe, and I use that word with intention, <laughs> bribe the provinces to do things that they may not have done on their own otherwise. And so that's what we see happening right here, right now. And this constitutional issue really became to the, you know, came to the fore in 1969. If you look at the documents, that's when it first came out, and it hasn't been resolved yet. So while we're worrying about whether healthcare is going to be there for us, the feds and the provinces haven't settled the constitutional problem at the heart of this issue. And so we see continual, give us more money money, Fed saying, give us more control, but we don't want to pay 50-50. I think Canadians need to stand up and say, come on, you guys, work this out. We just want one person to be in charge so we can hold them accountable when they don't provide what they promised. You know, from all your research looking into our healthcare system and all the cracks and foibles, were you prepared for what happened after the pandemic here? I mean, there's no, there's no fooling around. You can't turn away from this. This is on certainly everybody I talk to across the country. 
Well, the one thing that surprised me was the level of burnout. So the level of dysfunction, we knew that was happening. The 20 million delayed procedures in Ontario alone, we knew that was coming down the pike. So we, we, you know, I've been saying it till I'm blue in the face. We got to make some changes. What I wasn't prepared for, though, is the level of despair. And, you know, the, the literature talks about moral injury or nurses and docs trying to provide care and not having the resources they need to provide the care they know patients need causes moral injury leads to burnout and burnout levels according to one report from the Ontario Science Table actually in 2021 amongst nurses it's over 60 percent in some cases so that is our problem we're facing we have a a healthcare um, resource the human resource the human capital that's the word I'm looking for that has just been beaten up and throwing another few thousand bucks at them is not going to solve it. We need to look deeper than just the carrots and sticks. You, you know, as as we look at this, is this change on the, the power structure here? Because as you say, nobody saw this coming. And there were, every time I've had this conversation, certainly as a news story or a or a, a, an event as we look across the country, it was always about, you know, the power of the unions, the power of this, and how much do we... Now this is different. There's a, a power dynamic that has shifted, and you were surprised. I think most of Canada was surprised. Yeah. So the, the issue here, it, it really gets down to individuals, to people, and, and people on in care. They go into care for intrinsic reasons. So they want to help. They want to have the ability to be creative and to expand their knowledge and to learn and grow and feel good about their job and feel respected and, and loved by their community. All these intrinsic motivators are much more important for knowledge workers, like doctors and nurses. Doctors and nurses are knowledge workers. Radio hosts are also knowledge workers. So even though we could pay you a million bucks, you still wouldn't want to do this job if you intrinsically didn't feel respected and, and admired. The government, unfortunately, all they have at their at their at their fingertips are external motivators or, or, or extrinsic motivators. And so that carrots and sticks, here's a few more dollars or we're gonna punish you or put more regulation. And so Unfortunately, the intrinsic motivation has been left on the table and allowed to wither. I don't even have the right words. You're great with words. You have better words. We need to look at what motivates these people and to re-inspire them, allow them room to grow, give them the resources they need to, to provide the care they know they can provide. And I think that's what's the core problem, at least at the front lines of care right now. And, you know, as I'm listening to you say that, although it sounds challenging and disturbing, to me, it also sounds like an opportunity here. So it isn't just about the money. And we get it. I mean, you can't turn those minds around if you don't do something else. And there's a real feeling about this, isn't it? It's not just about private and public and the old argument. And I know it's taboo. And now it's been raised and our, our minds are all open. We're willing to think of other things. Well, that's another thing. But what you've just described is something else, too. And in my opinion, it can't do anything but infuse our whole healthcare system with something that is good. 
Oh, absolutely. In point of fact, not all hospitals are closing. Not all emergencies are closing. In fact, some emergency departments have far more staff than they need. And they're saying, listen, we're full. We've been full for years. And yet people still want to go and work there. Other ICUs or emerges are, are closing at the drop of a hat and people can't wait to bail out of it. Well, there are reasons there that go deeper than simply a lack of funding. And I, I hesitate to say it because you don't want to hurt people mm-hmm. when they're down, right? The hospital's yeah. been beaten up. And um, anyways, it's an issue there. It, it's right at the front lines. Sean Watley, thank you uh, for thank joining you us tonight. All right. You have a great night. Sean Watley is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and author of the recent book, When Politics Comes Before Patients, Why and How Canadian Medicare is Failing. And there we go. It's true. All these things. There is real sense here that something different's happening. What will it be? I'm Arlene Bynan. And this is On Point.